I've been planning for the longest time to do an extended reflection on Spider-Man No Way Home. And I have to admit, for the longest time, I was trying to decide whether or not to do it with spoilers or without spoilers. And I finally decided to do it with spoilers because there are certain themes that I want to talk about today that can only be best explained by giving a bit of context. So uh, we'll see how it goes. So as you probably know, Spider-Man No Way Home begins basically with the ending of the previous movie, Spider-Man Far From Home. So basically in the context of that earlier film, the chief antagonist of that movie, Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, reveals Spider-Man's secret identity as Peter Parker to the entire world. And so again, that's how Spider-Man No Way Home actually begins. So basically to solve this particular problem, Spider-Man enlists the help of a fellow superhero, Doctor Strange, and asks him basically to cast a spell to make the world essentially forget that he's actually Spider-Man. So as you probably know by watching the different trailers and ads for the film, um, the spell doesn't actually work. And so while Doctor Strange is casting the spell, Peter Parker begins to have second thoughts. So rather than have everyone forget the experiment, he's thinking, well, what about my girlfriend, MJ? What about my best friend, Ned? What about my Aunt May? What about you, Doctor Strange? Shouldn't these key people in my life remember that I'm actually Spider-Man? But then, of course, what happens as a result of Peter's indecision and lack of integrity is that the spell, again, is basically ruined. As a result of which, various villains start to emerge from various parallel universes, including such figures as the Green Goblin, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, Electro, and the Lizard. Now, at first, this initial problem would seem to be relatively easy to solve, and so Doctor Strange gives Spider-Man and his friends this basic mission. Go forth, capture the villains, bring them back to headquarters, at which point, basically, Doctor Strange will send them back to their respective universes. But then what happens is that in trying to carry out this particular mission, Spider-Man realizes that the fate of all these different villains is that they go back to their universes and essentially die fighting Spider-Man, and he basically can't live with himself knowing that that's going to be the case. And so during an interview for Spider-Man No Way Home, Alfred Molina, who of course played Dr. Octopus, touches on this particular point. So what he says is that if you look at the Spider-Man villains, especially the early ones, what you notice is that they begin as good people, right? So they begin as good people, but then what happens is that some accident, some tragedy, some unforeseen circumstance befalls them as a result to which they become reluctant villains, if you will. And the genius of Spider-Man is that he recognizes that, right? So Spider-Man recognizes that these guys, uh, they don't begin as evil people. They begin as good people. And in fact, for the most part, especially when you look at the early comics, they are actually his friends, right? And so therefore, the goal in the mind of Spider-Man is not so much to simply defeat these guys or, or even kill them, certainly, but the goal is actually to bring them back to the light, to bring them very much into the path of redemption and salvation. He's trying to help them to get better, and of course, that's what we see in the context of Spider-Man No Way Home, right? And so before sending these guys back to their respective universes, he resolves to help them to, to cure them of the wickedness that plagues them in their hearts. And of course, what do we find in this but shades of the Christian thing, right? And so this is a really important point for all of us, of course, to remember, right? No matter who is harming us at any particular time, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, this person is not our enemy, the enemy is the devil. The enemy is sin, right? So again, whoever is hurting me at any particular time is not my enemy. This person is someone that Christ calls me to love. And I'm called to remember that and to interact with that person as such.
And so the whole idea, right, is that regardless of who this person is in front of me who is hurting me, even if they're hurting me intentionally, I got to be mindful of the fact that I'm called to collaborate with God's grace, which precedes my presence, which precedes this interaction, certainly, to collaborate with God's grace to help move this person back into the light, to bring this person back into the path of redemption and salvation. Even if it begins with something as simple as, I'll pray for this person. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this. Even though Peter begins with this really noble goal to bring these different villains back into the path of grace, along the path, he is challenged to give up this sense of idealism, especially tempted by the Green Goblin, played by Willem Dafoe. So the Green Goblin, throughout the course of the movie, he's obviously trying to get Peter to give up fighting the good fight by inviting him to give in to a sense of discouragement and despair. Basically, by recurringly playing to a sense of pride, by saying to him, like, look, you have the strength, you have this power, why not just take what you want? Why, why do this thing of, of, of being patient, working with people and their weakness, helping them become better? Why not just like take what you want and, and find happiness through possessing and controlling and, and going that route as opposed to doing this other way, going the way of love? Because the way of love seems to be pathetic. It seems to be weak. And so, Willem Dafoe doesn't actually say those lines in the context of the film, but that's basically the gist of it, right? You're strong, go fight for yourself, why bother fighting for the weak? But you see, in response to that particular approach, perhaps we might quote St. Paul's very famous letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that, that letter which is often read in the context of weddings, right? Love is patient, love is kind, and so on and so forth. And the whole idea is that when you read that particular letter, what Paul is saying is that love is not weak, love is strong. It requires great strength, great interior fortitude to be patient and to be kind and to not be boastful and so on and so forth in the midst of a cruel and sinful world. If you can hold your ground and continue to trust in God's grace and God's providence and persevere in the good in the midst of these challenging circumstances, again, that requires tremendous strength and is certainly the opposite of being weak. In any case, things really come to a head when the Green Goblin basically destroys the place where Peter and his friends are staying, and then escapes with the rest of the villains. In the aftermath of which, Peter is talking in the midst of this fiery rubble to his Aunt May. Now at this point, Peter is extremely down on himself, and he's really tempted to give in to a deep sense of discouragement and despair. And in particular, he's thinking to himself, well, things are, are so much worse because I've tried to kind of help these people to get better, right? And so maybe I should just kind of say, well, it's not my problem, you know, so give it to someone else, let these people die, if you will. But then in response, his Aunt May really challenges him. And for my money, this is the best part of the entire film, right? And so uh, just before this speech that Aunt May gives to Peter Parker, uh, she's just been hit by the Green Goblin's glider. And so she's injured, but Peter doesn't realize how injured she actually is. So when she says this thing to Peter, she's actually mortally wounded. She's actually dying. And so this really adds a sense of drama to the scene because even though Peter knows that she's hurt, he, he doesn't know that she's actually using her final breath to speak these words of encouragement to her, her nephew, right? And so basically, again, Peter is about to give in to discouragement and despair. He's, he's really down and kind of giving into darkness. When, when Aunt May um, starts to say to him, like, look, um, I, I, I got to say something to you. Uh, and now listen here. And she, she's strong for him, even though, again, she's dying. And she says, look, look, um, with great power, with great power comes great responsibility, you know? And um, obviously, it's it's the words that you hear in every Spider-Man movie. But but you know we hadn't heard it till till now in the context of these Tom Holland films, 
And if you follow Spider-Man comics, usually those words are, are said by the dying uh, Uncle Ben um, to, to Peter, and, and this propels him to become a superhero. But um, in the context of this film, it, it's interesting how they, how they revise it. So Aunt May basically gives um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man uh, his, his Uncle Ben moment, right? So again, like she rises to the occasion and tells him with great power comes great responsibility. And with that, um, she dies, you know? And so that that those are her final words to this this guy to help him persevere and pull him out of the darkness. But you see, before we go on to talk about the third act, I want to spend some time talking about this this struggle that Peter's going through, right? And so, the idea is that look, um, because I try to to help these people get better, because I try to help again bring them back into the light, things are now worse as opposed to being better. And now. Um, this place that, that we were staying at is ruins. Um, the villains have escaped. Um, my Aunt May is dead. And so, you know, gosh, like maybe if I just kind of minded my own business, people wouldn't be hurt and things would actually be better. To use a biblical analogy, think about the story of Mary and Joseph in the context of Christmas, right? And so originally Mary and Joseph, they wanted to have a simple life. Simple life, simple family, simple town of Nazareth, right? But then, of course, what happens is that God sends an angel. He sends the angel Gabriel to invite Mary to be the mother of the Savior, which, of course, she accepts. But then think about what happens in the aftermath of Mary accepting that particular invitation. Chaos ensues. Violence even ensues. All sorts of confusion and darkness. And so, for example, there's a room in the end. There's the murder of the holy innocents. That's followed, of course, by the flight into Egypt where they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, and they're called to stay there for literally God knows how long before going back to the little town of Nazareth where they're called to live this ordinary hidden life, again, for an undetermined amount of time. And that's their life as the holy family. And you got to consider, right? I mean, what were Mary and Joseph saying to each other? What were they thinking about as all these things were going on? Probably some variation of like, wow, like when we accepted the invitation to become the Holy Family, we didn't expect it would be like this. We didn't expect that things would become worse in a certain sense before actually becoming better. And again, and that's precisely what you see in the context of Spider-Man No Way Home, right? So Peter decides to go the way of life. He decides to go the way of love and journeying with the other. And again, initially, things don't seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting worse. But because things aren't immediately better, he's tempted to think, therefore, I'm not called to do this particular thing. Maybe I should have said, in retrospect, it's not my problem. Just let these people die. But then again, here's Azat May, who in her woundedness embodies the crucified and wounded Christ, who says to him in no uncertain terms, take heart and have courage, persevere and fight the good fight with great power comes great responsibility. Now, while all this is going on, MJ and Ned, they're basically praying for a solution. And then it occurs to them that Ned has this magic ring, which used to belong to Doctor Strange, which in turn allows um, basically the holder of the ring to transport people from one place to another. So um, Ned basically begins to cast a spell to try to bring Peter Parker back to them. But then what happens is that Peter Parker comes to them, but it's not the Peter Parker they might expect, right? And on top of that, it's not just one Peter Parker, it's actually two Peter Parkers. So then basically what happens is that two Spider-Men basically emerge from these magical portals. One played by the actor Andrew Garfield and the other one played by Tobey Maguire. So what happens is that the four of them essentially put their minds together and they figure out where the Peter Parker played by Tom Holland basically is. And so they go to him and they find him in his sorrow. So initially, MJ and Ned, they take turns embracing Peter because, of course, they know that Aunt May has died. And then Peter notices that there's these other two Spider-Men, right? And so one of them says, uh, I'm sorry to hear about Aunt May. 
But then Peter in this flash of anger and frustration says, like, don't tell me you know what I'm going through. Like, don't tell me you know what I'm going through. At which point the camera turns to the Spider-Man played by Andrew Garfield and is, and he kind of looks down to the ground, right? And he doesn't say anything at first, neither of them say anything at first, but the idea is that they know, right? Because, because they're him, they're him. And they've gone through the same darkness, the same struggles, the same tragedy as he has gone through, right? And so they start recounting the death of their Uncle Ben. Um, and on top of that, Andrew Garfield talks about how uh, he allowed his girlfriend, Gwen Stacy, to die uh, when she basically got involved in his adventures as Spider-Man, right? And so the idea is that they don't simply understand. They have come to experience the same pain that he has experienced as Spider-Man. And again, what do we see in this but parallels the Christian thing, right? Because what do we believe as Christians? When Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, what happened? He forever changed the nature of human suffering such that forevermore, there is no longer one suffering endured by simply yourself. There is one cross shared by two people, you and Jesus Christ. And you see, what this means, practically speaking, is that as we go forward in the context of this broken, sinful world, and we experience suffering, and more to the point, we feel alone in our suffering, we have to recall this reality of who Christ is, and again, what He's done for us. Because Christ suffered and died on the cross, in reality, we are never alone. And Christ never simply sympathizes with our pain, He actually shares in it. Because again, there is only one cross shared by two people, you and Christ the Lord. Now, as you might imagine, the movie basically ends with all three Spider-Man working together to cure these various villains of their villainy. So they develop these different cures to cure them of their wickedness and the evil that kind of lurks within. But then what happens is that Doctor Strange realizes that the multiverses which are surrounding their, their primary universe are beginning to encroach upon their reality. And so he's trying to think of a way to, to stop it. Now, at this point, Tom Holland's Spider-Man actually comes up with the heroic solution. So basically what he says to Doctor Strange is like, look, what if you cast a spell in such a way that everyone forgets about me? Will that work? Will that stop these parallel universes from encroaching upon our particular universe? But in response, Dr. Strange says, well, yeah, that'll work, but I don't want to do that. Because what it'll mean is that everyone will forget about you. Everyone who's ever loved you will forget that you are Peter Parker and that you are Spider-Man. But then, of course, Peter Parker realizes this is the only way, and so he essentially concedes to his fate. And so he says goodbye to his fellow Spider-Man, and he says this really tearful and emotional goodbye to both MJ and Ned before the spell is essentially complete. And so, again, everyone forgets that he's Spider-Man and Peter Parker. But that, of course, gives rise to the final moments of the film, right? And so basically, Peter goes to this cafe where MJ is working, and he sees her, and he sees Ned, and he's about to tell MJ in particular about how he's Spider-Man and about their life together. But then he notices this bandage on her forehead. So basically, as a bit of background, MJ sustained this minor flesh wound on her forehead in the context of that climactic battle between the various Spider-Man and their corresponding villains. But now Peter Parker is drawing attention to it. And so he basically asked her, um, how is that? Like, does it hurt, basically? And she says, well, you know, it, it used to hurt, but it doesn't anymore. And that causes Peter to give pause. Now, at this point in the film, we're not really made privy to Peter's inner thoughts, but the subtext is basically that he comes to realize suddenly that it's probably better to let sleeping dogs lie. It's probably better that he continues to remain anonymous and a non-player, at least in the context of MJ and Ned's lives, because it keeps him safe. It keeps him from harm. And so he makes the really heroic choice to go forward as Peter Parker and as Spider-Man without the support network of the people who loved him, the people who were part of his previous life. 
So the movie basically ends with Peter moving to a different part of New York, I believe, moving to a one-bedroom apartment and actually making himself a new suit where he basically resolves to turn the page, to start a new life as Peter Parker and as Spider-Man. And for me, you know, when I saw these final moments of the film, I couldn't help but think about how throughout the course of these three movies, not just um, Spider-Man No Way Home, but also Spider-Man Far From Home, and before that, Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man is learning how to become a person of love, which takes great time and takes great effort. So certainly the first stage for all of us in terms of this particular process is to realize that I got to move out of the narrow space of my own ego and move ever more fully into a stance of sacrificial love. So that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this, and this is what comes through at the end of the film. I got to learn to purify my sense of intention. I got to learn to purify my sense of intention. And so the whole idea is that even though it's good, obviously, to do good and noble things, as opposed to evil, nefarious, and wicked things, at the same time, again, I need to purify my intention. To ask myself, you know, why am I doing the things that I'm doing, right? Is it because of public recognition? Is it because of the immediate gratification of doing something which is good and recognized by other people? Or do I have this purity of heart which allows me to persevere in the good, even though no one sees even though no one seems to understand, and even though things seem to be getting worse in the immediate aftermath of doing that good thing. And so you see, if you pull it all together, what Peter eventually comes to at this point at the end of the film is this point of sainthood, where I am living out of the stance of sacrificial love, not because of any sort of immediate reward or recognition. I do it simply because it's the right thing to do, no matter how inconvenient or, or difficult that challenge might pose in terms of doing the thing that God wants me to do in the present moments. And isn't that a great lesson for all of us, especially during this time of the Christmas season? And may God bless you all.